Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast. podcast from the International Motorsports Association and Radio Show Limited. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. The checkered flag ends the race, but not the race talk. Have your say. Ask the experts. Make your point. Post race tech. The end of the race is only the beginning. The dust settles after an historic Rolex 24, the 56th edition of this great race, the 24 hours of Daytona, and every single second of it was brought to you live on RS2 IMSA Radio, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. We're still live trackside at the Daytona International Speedway as the podium presentations for all three classes is continuing to take place down in Victory Lane below the Daytona International Speedway glass-fronted building. Rolex resplendent everywhere we look and how fitting it is that this year's uh, Grand Marshal for the Rolex dinner on Friday night and for the whole event was Chip Ganassi because it's been a tremendous result for Chip uh, with his Ford GTs separated by just 11.1 seconds at the flag. It was millimetre stuff at times, though, between the 67 and the 66. And Ryan Briscoe coming home in the end to win that division with Scott Dixon and uh, in the 67 crew, Richard Westbrook. Also, uh, Action Express Racing, a third victory in the overall uh, result for the number well, for an Action Express car, but it's the number five machine that missed out so publicly last year after contact with a couple of laps to go between the 10 and the five, you'll remember. And Philly Albuquerque ended up spinning at the turn one while well, he waits 12 further months and finally does get uh, a an overall victory in that Cadillac with the Delara chassis. And he shares it with now three-time winner, Joe Barbosa, and three-time winner, Christian, uh, Christian Fittipaldi. Uh, a great drive, though, for the second place. Felipe Nazar, Stuart Middleton, Eric Curran, and Mike Conway in the other Ex- Action Express car. And we didn't manage to get reaction, I'm afraid, down at Core Autosport during our post-race summing up. But uh, plenty of time to wax lyrical about the Flexbox-sponsored car during Michelin post-race tech. We're still looking for your votes, by the way, for the Spirit of the Race Award. Plenty of votes coming in, and you can add to uh, the little piles of paper that we need to count up by the end of this show uh, by sending a tweet to at RSL underscore studio, and make sure you put the hashtag SOTR in there so I can pick them out. And also looking for your discussion topics for the Michelin post-race tech, uh, hashtag Michelin PRT required for that. But uh, dust settling, Joe Bradley. And this, I get the feeling, is a Rolex 24 we'll remember for some years yet. Well, yeah, I mean, we've we've we've, we've taken a lot of historical uh, trophies home with us, haven't we? We've, we've covered more distance ever in the history of the Daytona 24 hours. We have had the first ever 24-hour race win for a Lamborghini. And... I can't help but think, though, 
when we reflect back to this year, the biggest thing on the list, the debrief list, for everyone, for all of the teams, will be tyres. Because that is the most significant factor that we're going to take home from the 2018-24 hours of Daytona. Uh, tyres. The amount of punctures we've seen, I think, also are unprecedented and possibly a record there as well. Um, not good, I think, and I'm sure a company like Continental are thinking the same. They've, the problem we've got from where we sit is we can only speculate that what are the causations of that, and really the jury's out, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not going to speculate. What I can do is give you the kind of parameters that we're looking at. How, you know, same tyre, same compound, same construction that we've been running for five years. Johnny Mullum said something that was, I think, perhaps the most significant. We are running more downforce. We are putting more loads through the tyre. Um, we are running faster around the banking. We've got more power from these cars. We've got more traction from these cars. We're, we're asking a lot more from the tyre. Um, and that, for me, can only be the, the, can be the only factor, really, that's worth considering. I do not think that we've got race engineers um, stretching the performance parameters of those tyres with things like aggressive cambers or even aggressive um, tyre pressures because the slight amount of gain that you will get, there's too much of a question mark over the attrition rate and you're not going to risk... Not just a race, but you're not just—you're not going to risk the car, the driver. You, you're not going to put people in that position. So I think the—I think the result of the inquiry, if you, for want of a better term, is probably going to be that the cars have changed, the tyres haven't, and that for me is going to be, I think, where we're going to find ourselves, and maybe we're going to have to look at maybe get sorting out another tyre for next year before we put these cars back on the track round here. Well, I'm going to have different tyres for next year. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. We are going to have different tyres for next year, of course. So we're not, going to, we're not going to be seeing that. I don't think we're going to have the same issue at other tracks. I think that the, the problem has come from the, the, the completely different loadings that the cars and tyres will have around the banking here at Daytona. Right. And we've got no other tracks that are in any way, shape or form liked it or not. I mean, 12, rounds, 12 hours around Sebring, I know a lot of that is concrete surface. Uh, is that a hard-wearing track and something that the teams will have to bear in mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a different tyre they take there because it's a completely different loadings in all sorts of, of, of ways. Uh, I think you're certainly... I think one has to say that um, that uh, Continental underestimated the, uh, the performance of these cars. I, I can't really put it any other way to be perfectly honest but th there were a couple of failures at uh, earlier in the year look it's the last year of their contract they're not going to be putting a huge amount of development into these into these tires unfortunately the cars are getting really 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 fast now yes uh, so it, it's it's most unfortunate it really is um, but you know they they will they take this seriously. This is not. This is not anything frivolous, obviously, for them. And, and this, we, this is not the them statements. by any stretch of the imagination thinking. Imagination thinking. This is our last year. We've lost Absolute, a contract. No. Let's just not care or bother no. anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, they've put a lot of time uh, into the design of this tyre. Although it was, we made the point during the broadcast, and Andrew Marriott brought this up, that it is now a year old 
uh, design of tyre in terms of... Well, it's more than that, actually, I think. Is five, it? I think. Five. Is it? Yeah. Well, again, but, uh, you know, uh, and again, the, yeah, the, maybe the, the development the of tyre hasn't well, rushed that's on. That's my point. You see, that you know, the, the cars are really sophisticated now, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, like uh, Wayne Taylor said, you know, that, that they're, they're not going to do anything out of the realm of what they should be running in terms of, pram of the parameters, you know, pressures or cameras or whatever. But anyhow, you know, that happened. It was still a tremendous race. Of course. And uh, I think what we can take away from this also is, is how competitive the field is. I just had a quick, mm. quick unofficial look down the fastest laps for each of the different um, manufacturers. If you want to try, try have a look through those. So the fastest lap of the race was Felipe Nasser in the Cadillac, 137.4. Uh, there was a 137.5 for the Nissan. That was actually Nicola Lapierre. 137.7 for the Acura. Uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Taylor it was set that time. And then a 38.0 for the Ligier, actually, actual fact. Lando Norris set that time. 38.1 for the Mazda, Jonathan Bomarito. 38.1 for the Orica. The or Orica, Gibson, was actually the slowest wow. of the combinations in terms of fastest lap. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean all hell of a lot, but it, it's mm. all, I always find that sort of stuff interesting. Uh, anyway, that, so the whole, uh, all of the cars, or well, apart from the Bolton Magic Riley, won't get into that one, uh, were covered by, uh, you know, just, just over half a second by six cents of a second or so so that's pretty good uh, clearly though the Cadillac like last year doesn't it doesn't have the same advantage it has last year by any means because last year they they left the for dead here I mean it wasn't even close this time it was definitely close that the the uh, they had a, a good advantage coming particularly coming off turn six uh, and, and and also off the uh, the horseshoe down here and it was at, at the torque of that big v8 engine Great, yeah. you know, but uh, but I let my hat's off to my my point here is my hat is off once again to the IMSA technical staff because I think given the information, given the fact that all these new cars to have them that close uh, with one year's of knowledge, but with but with development and new cars coming in this season, I think they've done a, a mighty fine job. And and it's hard to get that right for this one-off unique indeed, race, indeed, because there's nowhere like this because. It's all about your motor here, mm. and you, we know how or, strong or aerodynamic efficiency. Perhaps. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you do need a strong engine on these on this banking. They are long stretches of flat yeah. out throttle in top gear. Add into that, let's add a bit of torque out yeah. of the slow points, and you've covered all your bases, haven't you? Yeah. And that Cadillac engine is the is the business. Yeah. I'm not going to. I would like to think, and I'm quite confident with this. We're not going to see. A similar kind of, um, I, I don't want to use the word domination, but that, the, the Action Express team have dominated this race, not necessarily Cadillac. The Action Express team and the way they've gone about this race have dominated this race. No, I race. don't think they have dominated this race. Yes, they've got a one-two finish, but it wasn't as if they ran off and hid. Oh, I don't know, Jeremy. They've always been they've always been at the front of the field. Yeah. And I've always sat, sat back and gone, they're going to be there oh, tomorrow yeah. at 20 oh, no, to 3. No, 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 no. There was no doubt they were going to win it. Yeah, that's, why I, didn't that's why I didn't want to use dominate. No, 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 exactly. Strong. They were, they were very, oh, yeah, very strong yeah, throughout yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. throughout this yeah. event. Yeah, I mean, the team's always going to be strong, and that combination we knew was going to be strong, but it was a really... It was a, a, a good effort by a whole bunch of teams. And, and again, my hat's off to that core team for coming back from mm. six laps down with a third of the race to go to finish within 90 seconds of the win and 20 seconds or 21 seconds of second place. Boy, what an effort that was. Come from behind. Uh, yeah, interesting a podium. Uh, mm. Interesting Brilliant. discussion topic being raised here by Leon Angles, who addresses a tweet to at RSL underscore studio. You can use the handle at IMSA radio as well, but most importantly, hashtag Michelin PRT 
for any further discussion. I mean, we've got plenty of them coming through, as you'd expect, after such an interesting and intriguing race. Uh, Rolex 24 opens the IMSA season. Should Le Mans do the same, or should the ACO and the FIA do the same for the World Endurance Championship instead of it being the closing event for the 2018-19 season? Or, conversely, should the Rolex 24 close the IMSA season? Uh, where should the flagship event sit? Um, well, you know, uh, John Hindoff started the broadcast off almost by saying the biggest event of the year for the IMSA season sits at the start. That's kind of like having the FA Cup uh, in the UK soccer at the start of the year, having the Super Bowl at the start of the season. But it it somehow works in motorsport, though, because you get the Daytona 500 at the start of NASCAR year and the Rolex 24 has traditionally been a January date. It's 20 years since the first Petit Le Mans. And I think this series is bookended very, very nicely indeed. I mean, remember, this is a, this, this current IMSA series wasn't a coming together of the two uh, sports car series in the United States. We had Grand Am, we had the American Le Mans series, and the, 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 the American Le Mans series was always bookended by the Sebring 12 hours and Petit Le Mans, which was a 10 and a half hours, 1,000 mile race. Lovely bookends. Then the coming together came about, and hey, what a what a fabulous series this is to start the season at a place like this in January with the sort of weather we get in Florida in January is perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. Can be cold, but it's hey, I'm English. It's not really that cold. It's cold for Floridians, of course, and the likes of Anglophiles like Jeremy who lives in uh, California. But it's not cold. It's perfect. And then we settle down, we give the teams plenty of time to regroup and, and, and get those cars uh, rebuilt because they are, you know, they've just done a 24-hour race and we're going to kick off the season with round two at the Sebring 12 hours. A completely different and also unique place to go racing. I've, Johnny, have you ever been to Sebring? No. So you'll not have driven up the start finish straight at Sebring. Correct. In your road car, it goes, depending on how fast you go. Because those concrete blocks yeah. absolutely destroy your road car. What it must be like in a prototype race car, which is stiff as a board, I do not... It's no, a car breaker. It's a car breaker. Sebring is... Oh. Uh, it's uh, it's yeah. a it's a man's corner that yes. one, isn't it? Yes, it it is. doesn't take prisoners. Yeah. Scary place. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I've watched that race many times back home on the television, but it, I don't think it compares to actually uh, being there, being able to drive the track and uh, watch the cars through turn one in the flesh. One day, Joe. One day. Um, just to to add um, about the World Endurance Championship, we, we are we're kind of getting towards that. We do need. A development race, if you like. We can't just take our cars to Le Mans and, and travel at 230 miles an hour on the Mulsanne and down to Indianapolis without, you know, we're talking about finite aero packages here. Aero packages that we've seen. Some work, some don't. Some drastically do not work. And I think, I, I put, as, as a race team, kind of put my race team hat on, um, I'm sure the teams, the manufacturers, uh, relish the prospect of taking the cars to Spa first and just set, getting settled in with, with what they're going to run um, before they go to Le Mans. Could you change the subject uh, as far as GTLM is concerned? Uh, 
the American brands incredibly strong here. The best Ferrari finished fifth of a nine-car field in GTLM, but I'm reliably informed that for Porsche, that's the first time we've not had one of their cars on the podium at Daytona since the 1960s. So uh, the 912 Porsche, the best of the... I mean, you know, these have been radically redesigned 911s. Uh, we know that uh, with the end of the 919 program we've got people like nick tandy and earl bamba back into porsche at gt level but i mean the 911 that was an uncharacteristic mistake from nick tandy we never did find out whether they were, he was trying to make room for a prototype into the bus stop but lost the back end um and that wasn't when it was raining i don't think it's, I'm a, bit to a, boggy, back. it's a bit of a boggy place for nick tandy this this place remember a few years ago jeremy when it was on the infield wasn't it when nick tandy went out wide through turn one and ended up barrel ro- barreling, not barrel rolling, but barreling onto the grass, coming back onto the track and taking his teammate out. I remember those Porsches right? getting yeah. together. Yeah, yes. I forgot it was yeah. Nick actually yeah. involved, but yeah. yes, uh, um, Borgy track for, yeah, for it Nick. Seems Tandy. to be. It was unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, certainly, and going into the race, I saw uh, I saw um, Michael Harvey, the, the team manager, now the Porsche GT team, before new, new for the season, moved across from uh, Spirit of Daytona. He was super confident that all the Porsche engineers were super, pretty confident coming into this race. They, they thought they had a, a good, good, really good chance. And they ran well in the early stages, but they both had problems. I'm not sure, what, can't remember what the problems were with the, for the 912 car, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it had reasonably good pace, certainly, certainly a, a very equivalent pace to the, to the Chevys. The Ford and the Ferrari definitely had the edge here. Uh, the Ferrari actually set the fastest lap of the race by Nats Whisker, despite the fact it was down on power early on and it had some d- handling difficulties. So for some reason, they didn't quite hit the spe- sweet spot with that car, which is really surprising and, and unusual for Rita Competizioni. But uh, Ford's did an absolutely perfect job and they clearly had a great car. I mean, they had everything. They had reliability, they had speed, they had consistency, they had uh, fuel economy. <laughs> what else do you need to win yeah. uh, races like this oh you need good drivers check uh, and that is why chip ganassi our uh, our grand marshal for this event is now celebrating his 200th major victory oh, hats I f- off chip I, f- I forgot to mention that mm. one is a bit the, another chunk of history yeah, there being made yeah, yeah. remarkable yeah, gonna have to write these down there's we so did, many I mean, we did mention it earlier on in the <laughs> I know broadcast, did, yeah. but just to confirm that is uh ganassi's 200th mm. victory in all competitions as a team manager and um good luck david Phillips with the book yes uh, but I'm remembering back to the GT's debut at this place at the start of the 2016 season where they just had a horrendous time. They couldn't get those Ford sorted and it was you know, well documented that Ford were yeah. back here at yeah. Daytona. It all came good at Le Mans that year in the anniversary season yeah. of Ford's first victory at Le Sartre. But uh, it's almost kind of been a three-year programme, if you like, or two years across three races. And Porsche came to this event with this, as I say, radical redesign, switching the gearbox and the engine around. So maybe, you know, in another year's time, we're looking at Porsche going very much strongly. But, uh, Don't count against that. Yeah, I, just another year under their belt with this brand new car may make the difference. Um, let's talk about uh, LMP2s and the global variety of the LMP2 uh uh, now the category, of course, that it's it's effectively a spec engine category with the Gibson 4.2 liter V8 engine, and it's proven to be 
unstoppable in things like the European Le Mans Series and the World Endurance Championship at Le Mans as well. I mean, we very nearly had an LMP2 uh, take overall victory at Le Mans last June. Mm -hmm. These Gibson engines seem to be able to run and run. Mm -hmm. And again, in this race, we've got Gibson engine cars, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. There seems to be very little uh, reliability problems with those. Very str Again, very, very strong unit. Whether they, they had strength of performance against the Cadillac on the long stretches around the Daytona banking. I think we've we've just answered that question mm. by what we've just witnessed for the last 24 hours. Um, again, this place is just so unique. And I'm I'm not, Jeremy, you'll be, you'll know more about this than, than me. Um, the, the, the performance parameters have closed up, but do you foresee the, the, a similar kind of strength from the Cadillacs throughout the IMSA series this year? Because we, when we leave Daytona, we go to a, what I would call a more conventional series of tracks, don't we? We've got street oh, circuits, no, you've we've got, got road got courses. Sebring. That's not conventional. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's a road course in the in the sense of the word. We we've got no thirty six degree banking, for instance. You know that that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So yep. you bring this unique yep. and a different, yeah. completely well, different way. And that's the that's the thing about this series, though, Joe. Really, mm, is it because it is. the first three races of the season are unlike anything else? Sebring is yes, it's a road circuit, but it you know it's really rough. It's really tough. Uh, it's just a, a hard place to go racing. I mean, everybody says that the Sebring 12 hours is tougher on equipment than the Le Mans 24 hours. Yeah. So, you know, it really it, it knocks the heck out of the cars. They've got to be strong there. Yeah. And then they go to Long Beach, which couldn't be much more different. Yes, it has some similarities, I suppose, with Sebring <laughs> in that it's pretty bumpy. Mm. But, uh, you know, there there's concrete walls ev everywhere. Not not just on a few corners like at Sebring. So that's the great thing about this championship, and that's why that's why you speak to any of the drivers here who get a chance to come over here. Earl Bamber, Nick Tandy. You know, it might be it might not be a prototype. Yes, they probably prefer to be driving a prototype car, and who knows? Maybe they will be again over here before too long. Mm. That's not out of the reckoning, I don't think. But but they love the fact that they're racing in this championship now. Uh, they both you know said. This is what they were pushing for. They weren't. They weren't BSing. This is what they wanted to do. They love the tracks that this series uh, provides. Challenges. Pure, pure form of racing. Yes. This though, and I'm it sure is. rather than lifting and coasting and, and regenerating energy for yeah, the for the hybrid yeah. systems, I'm sure they like this better. Can you it. can you remember what Lance Stroll said to me when I interviewed him in the pits? Um, I said to him, "What's the comparison between your Formula One car mm -hmm. and your your Orica that you're driving here?" He said, "Oh, here is a is a race. I'm." Sprint, this is a sprint race. Formula One's completely different. Mm -hmm. It's like, hang on, we've got something wrong there, surely. Yeah. You know, a 90-minute, two-hour, 200-mile Formula One race should be a complete sprint, and this should be a nursing the cut, yeah. the finish. It's completely reversed, hasn't it? It's yeah. bizarre. It was, and it's so different to our usual races over here because, you know, generally the races are peppered with caution periods, and yeah. you know, every, we're all shocked at, at how few cautions there were. So this was a flat-out race. You know, the last caution was five hours ago. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in fact, if, if the race had started five hours ago, then the, um, then the uh, Orica of Core Autosport would have probably won fairly handily, but that's <laughs> a, this, despite the fact that, you know, that... Uh, it ignores the fact that the Cadillac had been beaten up for the previous 16, so was struggling yes. towards the end. But it was, but it was a flat-out race, wasn't it? And, yes. And even you know, in GT Daytona, we had oh. well only four cars on the lead lap, but there were another three right behind them. Uh, and uh, GTLM, there were th two, again two cars on the lead lap, but it, and three and three in the in the big class. It was brilliant. 
you know where we were saying what, what what's the reasoning behind the lack of cautions and I and I threw in the fact that the classes and the differentiation of uh, is that even a word the difference between the speeds mm-hmm. and and where the cars perform uh, allow the cars to pass easily. I think another thing that we've got to say the caliber of this field of drivers. Yeah. You mentioned about the inexperience of drivers. Have we got an inexperienced driver in this field? I can't very, think of one no, very without few. looking at that entry list. And then I think I'd be being very pedantic yeah. if I was to say that. I think the, the level of competitiveness, the level that we are at here this weekend is an extremely high level. You've got Fernando Alonso on the grid. Yeah. yeah. And you've but, got the next Fernando Alonso in the same car. Yeah. yeah. But that's uh, that's know, credit, what we've witnessed this weekend. Credit should be paid to all the regular IMSA guys Absolutely. as well who, who don't necessarily offer the same single lap speed as all these platinum and gold drivers, but they do have phenomenal experience of, of racing this Daytona track and judging where it can be most um, precarious, if you like, knowing where to put the car when they're doing the lappery or when they're being overtaken. And Ian McCarthy on Twitter addressing a tweet to hashtag Michelin PRT and at IMSA Radio says that, you know, all the credit to, to the officials for keeping it green. Superb work when necessary to go yellow and clearing up uh, a little bit of debris here and there and broken down race cars. But uh, lack of PC, he says, certainly helped in his opinion. But a real healthy amount of respect between the classes this weekend too. Near choreographed on the banking all race. Yeah. Uh, well, it was choreographed. I mean, the, the slower cars are told, keep keep low you let the higher cars go past you and that you know that worked i mean that was drummed into the drivers from the moment they got here and uh, and you know they they did a really really good job of that there was an incident in the continental tires race yesterday or friday i should say now um where one of the cars was waffling <coughs> slower cars was waffling around in the middle of the road at turn four and basically got run over uh so that was unfortunate but that's you know that was at one incident out of you know gosh you know th- three days of flat-out motor racing and you if you, so, are, you know the, the, the point there is that you know the officials made their point and the drivers yes i, yeah, I agree I know, with you i know and that mm. but that, I, that my point was yeah. there kind of corroborating that was yeah. the fact that we've got you know quite an elite field yeah you know no the, even the most inexperienced driver out there is extremely experienced at this yeah. high level of racing um phenomenal what we've just witnessed um, Jacinda Dehawal. Uh, That's struggle. Jet. Yeah, it is. I always Hello, struggle. With, I always struggle with your surname, Jet. We must get together, and you can uh, give me a lesson <laughs> in uh, pronouncing that. The Acuras are a force to be reckoned with, uh, which he reckons will be borne out in the lat- latter course of the year. Cadillac had better watch out, he says, for the rest of the 2018 season. They watch were coming. They were coming at yep. stages, weren't yeah. they? And Elio Castroneves certainly yeah. led a number of laps there. Um, Penske will get that sorted, I think, by March. Yeah. They've they? got it sorted. Yes. Uh, they've just had a few little niggles, and that's going to happen with a, with, a, with a new car. Yes, they've done a fair bit of testing. They were as prepared as they could be, but uh, you're only going to get better with more experience on the cars. And for a first-time run in a 24-hour race, no, pretty darn good. And the cars were both running really strongly at the end. They're dicing for position. They made up mm-hmm. uh, laps. I don't know, I'd be interested... To, to go back and 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 figure out if you took the result of the last eight hours, what would that be? Just taking the last eight hours into consideration, not relevant to anything. Interesting, however, and the Penske's wouldn't be far off that mark. I can tell you. 
It's Roger Penske's. Mm. Yes, it is. It's Penske. It is. You, and every, you can't, they they not, love working for Roger them. because they know yeah. that, that you, you're going to get the best opportunity to shine. And that's certainly what the drivers love. Not only the drivers, it's the same with the mechanics, the engineers, everybody involved in that team. It's that, the, you know, that uh, distinction of excellence. The attention to detail, yeah. Jeremy, to split, yeah. their gar- to split their garages, to split where they are in the pits so that they didn't trip over each other yeah. in their pit stops. That attention to detail, I never th- I'd never even thought of that until I came here this weekend. Mm. Fabulous, fabulous. Um, thank you to Jackie Warnock and to Tim Gray who have been collating the vote for our Spirit of the Race Award. We are now in a position to give you a top three rundown, and I think we have a three-way tie for third position at least. Um, a winner who has turned out to be streets ahead, but uh, many people getting votes in for the Grasser Racing Team for their first victory with the Lamborghini Huracan, a first ever uh, 24-hour victory Um for a Lamborghini full stop. Obviously, uh, GRT have taken victories in shorter races, but uh, those guys getting a lot of votes. The Hart Racing Team for being volunteers and for Rooftop Ray for all his efforts overnight as well. And remember, uh, Rooftop Ray doesn't get paid as such for all his hard work. Uh, Thankfully, it didn't rain for him uh, this time around. We had that short, sharp shower at 8 o'clock, but otherwise... It was a little bit chilly at times overnight, but we couldn't do this race coverage that we offer without him. Um, Core, Auto, Core Autosport came very, very close with their 54 car, getting into the top three after a superb effort in a car that's new to them. And the Loic Duval, Roman Dumas, Colin Brown and John Bennett combination getting a top three finish. And they've just featured on the podium. Presentation still taking place, by the way. Well, it'll be for a while. It will, yes. <laughs> probably a good half an hour or so. But um, we've had so many votes for our Spirit of the Race Award for Car 58, which crashed on the green flag lap. And they were down so many laps and could quite easily have downed tools at Wright Motorsport. Uh, we understand. Now, we did get an explanation about what happened um, as far as Robert Renauer's incident is concerned. The team labelled it as not mechanical, uh, but whether there was just a a little bit of fluid down on the track or whether it was just a bit too much right foot from Robert Renauer, I'd be so surprised because of his his fast experience. Everybody makes mistakes. I mean, I think no one's trying to cover anything up there. Uh, I think it it was just one of those things. I'm not sure Robert Renauer does, though, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, but I'm not yeah. sure Robert Renau makes mistakes like that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, have, Honestly, most people do. He's human, yeah, exactly. after all, he shall is. we say. I, uh, no I'm not even team. sure about that, Johnny. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's such a good not. driver. But, he's but, such a good driver. But, but, I mean, the, on a green flag the whole lap, team, you're what a great get... job they did, though, yes. to come back. That's the point, isn't yes, it? Yes, and, and we shouldn't and what's, the point what's even better is that that team will be running a second car in uh, all of the uh, sprint races this season as well, I believe. So that's really good news. I mean, uh, I, an extra car. I thought I'd seen it as officially retired when we got something like 50 laps <laughs> down. And clearly the team were working mm. so hard to get it back out again. They knew they weren't going to get a result. But yeah. then again, you've got a racetrack out there that, uh, you know, they've still got 18 hours of running and they're true races at heart. So why give up the opportunity of at least getting stuck in and, and seeing where you can finish and uh, just for the record the 58 car did i believe get across the line it wasn't in the top eight of gtd but oh my remote control for the television has decided to entirely pack up now where did the 58 car cross the line jeremy Uh, cross the line in 
This is the uh, Wright yeah. Motorsports car of uh, Robert Renauer. Uh, 41st position overall. Pat Long, Mathieu so Jaminet and Christina Nielsen. What, 19th in uh, GT Daytona, is it? 19th in GT Something like that. But, uh, they, you know, they, they, ran, uh, they ran really well. They were... How far behind? They were... 86 laps behind or thereabouts, something like that. On the class leader? Yeah. Yeah, OK. And I'm just looking where they, how far back they were earlier on because they, they, they'd only completed 19 laps. I think they actually might have... Take away that that way, they, they, they had enough pace to run r well up towards the front. Um, the after, th after three hours, the race leader in GT Daytona had done 95 laps. They'd done 19. OK. Yes. Where does that leave you? Yeah. Well, it's it's a small bit of consolation for the guys at Wright Motorsports, but uh, we at uh, Radio Show Limited and our little community, I say little, it's vast these days, of sports car fans recognise your effort, and they are the winners of the Spirit of the Race Award. Thanks to Jackie and to Tim for counting up those votes. We've got a few more minutes to go through the final few discussion topics uh, of our Michelin PRT. Uh, the Nissan DPIs look very strong at the end of 2017. How could they perform so badly in this event? The 22 and the 2. Again, they looked speedy at times, but uh, the reliability issues and the tyre and the punctures as well for Tequila Petroni SM cars uh, pitched them, I think, both retired, did they not, by the end? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but again, the the pace was definitely there. Yeah, they, so that's nothing necessarily intrinsic about the, the the Nissan DPI per se. No, no, it's it's a potent piece of equipment. I mean, it was its fastest lap was only the best best lap by the uh, by the Nissan was only a tenth of a second away from the Cadillac. Uh, so it had, certainly had the pace uh, with with a bunch of drivers, bunch of different drivers. So uh, you know, they they were unfortunate. Yes, they had some. Uh, technical issues, whether they were caused as a result of those m major tyre failures. Uh, and, you know, one of them, it was very, very early in the lap, so they had to do a complete run around this three and a half miles to get it back to the pit lane at, uh, at, at you know, literally, literally crawling pace. So that cost them any chance of any, any sort of finish. But aside from that, they ran, yeah, with great, great promise and showed exactly, absolutely the sort of form they showed at the end of last year. Um, this is officially the Michelin post-race tech for the Rolex 24, but we did enjoy a fabulously entertaining race on Friday for the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. And uh, GS clearly going from strength to strength in that category with so many GT4 cars. Well, you and I covered pretty much all of that race, Jeremy. And I mean, the season looks good in that oh, challenge, yeah. doesn't it? That really does look good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic with the new, new cars from you know, Mercedes, BMW, Audi. Yeah, joining with the Fords and the Porsches, um, uh, oh yeah, that's 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 going to be fantastic. And there's so much interest in that. Uh, there's going to be there'll be at least one more Mercedes next time out. Might might lose a couple of cars, but they're going to gain a couple as well. And I think that's really exciting. Plus, of course, there's TCR, which uh, is only going to grow. Yeah, I think so. I mean, eventually. Yeah, we've got we had six Audis and a golf i right. seem to remember so you know not quite got the variety there i realized that you know the cars that are eligible in the states are fewer than they may be in a european based tcr championship because the regulations stipulate you've got to be selling those cars here so you can't race a seat for example um 
And, you know, as long as the Audi keeps winning, then I suppose teams that get on board with TCI, why would they go with anything else other than the RS3? But it'd be nice to have, say, 15 cars perhaps in the order. I don't know where the, how much room there is in the entry. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 the ST will be phased out at the end of the season. So I, I think, you know, seeing the worldwide success of TCR, uh, I, I, I see no reason to believe they won't be onto a winner with that in the future. I think it's, it's perhaps a, a bit of a shame that they didn't... That IMSA didn't uh, kind of go go whole, full uh, the whole hog on that and and decide you know 18 months ago that last year was going to be the end of ST let's just go with with a new um, TCR for this year and phase out ST altogether I can understand why they didn't of course uh, but it's it's a little bit confused not not necessarily confusing now but it certainly diluted the waters with just a half a dozen in each of the cl- uh, each of the two classes but i think that is the way to go and i think it's a good move i think you know in terms of uh, budgets for for running you know b- uh, budgets for teams and drivers it's going to be good because the cars are um you know, not more, much more expensive to 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 buy than anything than anything else of that sort of level of performance but the running cost should be pretty darn good and that's that's very very important to that level. Plus, everybody tells me those. I haven't had a chance to drive one, but everybody tells me those cars are a lot of fun to drive. Front wheel mm. drive they might be, but uh, but they are a lot of fun. And everybody who I spoke to down there earlier in the weekend was loving them. William Dyer, looking up at uh, the GTLM battle, somewhat pessimistically, he actually states that. Uh, he kind of thought it was done for the Fords after only two hours of running, so started to almost ignore the GTLM battle. Uh, puts the, the dominance down from Ford purely to balance of performance. Um, they look very strong around this particular circuit, and as all, we've already mentioned, we go to lots of different tracks with uh, different characteristics. Should we be fearful that this is going to be Ford domination all year? And can the if it is based on BOP, can that be adjusted through the course of the year to try and peg the Fords back or give other people a chance? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there are a few adjustments, a few sort of small adjustments coming into this weekend. The BMWs were allowed to take off a little bit of weight, um, add a bit of fuel. There was some refueling um, changes as well in terms of the speed of refueling. So, you know, it's, this is something that uh, IMSA is going to take uh, uh, pay close attention to. They'll get, do their homework. And if you look at the, the, the pace of the cars just on lap time, then uh, the Ferrari and the uh, two Fords turn up basically absolutely identical lap times. The, the Porsches and the Chevrolets were, were three or four tenths off, uh, and the BMW is a little bit further behind as well, the brand new uh, M8. But, you know... <laughs> Yes, it is down to balance performance because we know that the quality of the drivers is pretty equal. They're all great drivers in all of those cars. So, yes, it probably is fair to say that. But, you know, you, you, can't, you can't realistically expect all eight cars to be together <laughs> running nose to tail at every single race. So, you know, this one, Ford did a perfect job and they came away with a win. My hat's off to them, and I think, and and we heard that's the same thing from Feehan, basically, didn't we? Yes, Doug Feehan. So you know, you, you win some, you lose some, uh, and uh, this one Ford won, and, and very impressive. Yeah, and it just so happened they didn't encounter any problems either, no. or if they did, they dealt with them very swiftly indeed. There was a slight issue with the sixty-seven in its first pit stop, second pit well, stop with the, a cross-threaded wheel. Yes, and with the sixty-six car, it's sort of four or five pit stops from the end when Joey Hand couldn't get it going. He stalled the engine, cost him five seconds and the lead, and they they, they never get, regained the lead after that. 
But they'd led most of the race as the 66 car. Yeah. The gap was 11 seconds at the at the line. Yeah. But it's if that, bad, you it? know what, yeah. though? If it, I'm not sure it would have been five seconds in the favour of, you know, if, if, if he right. hadn't lost that five right. seconds. It, it may have been that he would have been able to hold him off. I was just looking at the Lamborghini, the, the, Lamborghini, the GTD lap times. Well, while we're on the balance, balance performance <laughs> thing, the, the fastest laps of the respective cars, again, I... I, I I know I must have, maybe I'm fixated by this, but the fastest lap of the race in GT Daytona, there was a bogus time for 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 uh, um, <coughs> for somebody I can't remember who it was now. But the fastest le- legitimate lap was it was the Audi Kelvin Vanderlinder 147.896. Next up there was a Mercedes 47.964, Ferrari 47.997. Uh, the Lamborghini 48.207 and by the way Brian Sellers was saying he didn't think they had the pace to win well his he had a Lamborghini like the like the winning Lamborghini mm. and, and his best lap was a, was also a 48.2 so not quite sure why he would say that but anyhow uh, and then the Acura's best lap was a 48.2 also uh, the Porsche and the Lexus their best laps was a 48.4 so that's you know half a second covering the entire field uh, in in that uh, in that class with 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 seven different manufacturers, pretty darn good. And again, th- this race, there was nowhere to hide. There were no cautions to. If you had anything go wrong, there was no way to make it up. So it's all about running the perfect race. And those four cars at the front of the at the front of the field, there were two Lamborghinis, an Acura, Acura, and a Mercedes. That's that's what they did. Great stuff. Really, really good race. James Ryder adding to the conversation about uh, the order of races through the course of the season. Thanks for your tweet addressed to at Radio Le Mans and at IMSA Radio. Include the hashtag uh, Michelin PRT. We've got about five more minutes to do and then we'll wind things up here at Daytona International Speedway. Uh, he says in... In my opinion, you can't put them on at the start of the season. Teams need to be able to shake down cars uh, and not to therefore test them publicly, effectively. And, I, you know, the ACO have toiled long and hard as to the order of the races, for particularly the super season, as it's coined, the transitional season, turning it from a summer race season to the winter period, although we're going to be racing something like August to June, so still a fair bulk of the year, which will have races in it. Teams need to be able to shake down and prepare for the big race, not chase gremlins during the showpiece. I I agree, but not for those reasons of, I think he's alluding to marketing there and and, and doing your testing in public. It's like, Le Mans is a very fast racetrack, and and subsequent to that, it's can be quite dangerous. The speeds that we are seeing on the on the Mulzan Strait, the three sections of the Mulzan Strait, and then the run down to Indianapolis, which is the fastest part of that circuit. There's, there, there are hardly any slow sections, really. The slowest part of the circuit is Arnage, and that's not really a slow part. You know, it's not. It's still got a, a, a huge um, speed through that section of the uh, of the circuit, and, and for it's kind of like for a safety thing more than anything. And we've seen how. The aero kits can be uh, so different if you get it slightly wrong. And by slightly wrong, I mean, you're talking a, a millimetre or two difference in right height can be the difference between um, being first or being last at Le Mans. And for that reason, it's kind of, I agree, don't get me wrong, I don't disagree, but um, more so for a point of not wanting to embarrass people 
Um, it's more for the fact of you know let's get this right or else we could ha- we we could end up with uh, um, you know a dangerous situation in my opinion. Question raised by Justin Henderson. We talked about Fernando Alonso basically bypassing the whole of the infield because of a second brake issue for the 23 car and that's a 9.8 second first sector. Um, question from Justin is, why did the 23 car not get a drive-through when Alonso blew through turn one? Or did they deem it unworthy of a penalty since his brake pedal was going to the floor? Well, crucially, the rest of that lap will not have counted as a competitive circuit, will it? So you're basically denying yourself a full lap despite actually doing it for real. So do they just view that as a penalty in itself? I think so, yes. I think so. You've wasted all that time going all the way around the oval, haven't you? Yes. And so you haven't done and you haven't, haven't done, done a full lap. lap. So you, you haven't gained so anything. So the timekeepers no, just, problem, the timekeepers just yeah. disregard yeah. that and yes. say, no, we'll, we'll start you again. Uh, say 100 did, laps if you try to do 101. Get, did we get a chance to speak to him at all? And and as to why, I'll tell you why I'm asking. I did a question and answer session at the Porsche Hospitality, and we had the six drivers. And when we got to Nick Tandy's turn to speak, I said, "Oh, Nick, well, I'm going to let everyone into your dirty little secret." And I said, "Oh, don't worry, it's not that one." And the fact is, Nick, that you are a big Oval fan and you'd really love to be a NASCAR driver. And here you are at Daytona. Do you not feel tempted to miss out the, the infield and just go straight around the Oval? And he actually admitted to actually considering it the first time he came here. And I just wonder, <laughs> Alonso loved the Indianapolis. I just yeah. wonder if he thought, oh, I just want to see where it's like. See what speed I can get into NASCAR turn turn one there. Well, I think as soon as he realised he wasn't going to make the corner, and there's a long line of just, I mean, black continental tyre tram lines that continue all the way along that straight that links the two corners, turns one and six of the road course here. I think as soon as you realise you're not going to make the corner, then you just boot the throttle and continue on round. Make sure you're not going to clobber anybody that's rejoining uh, through turn six and back up onto the banking. But yes, Nick Tandy, uh, famously, I mean, he wants to own his own NASCAR team along with drive it as well. And uh, considering he's he's driven the most, um, in terms of specification, the most... Uh, high-quality cars, high-tech cars in the uh, form of LMP1 machines to then go to a NASCAR team, which arguably isn't. Uh, but then again, there's still a real challenge to drive. Um, a lot of people don't understand that, but I kind of do, because he came from mini-stocks in the UK, which was going round and round on a quarter-mile oval, and that was his first love. Um, I think we're nearing the end now. Spirit of, of the Wrist Post-race day. We've done that. Well, have we done? How did you, I miss that? You were probably on Facebook. <laughs> I was putting, it no. went to the 58 crew, the Wright Motorsports guys, just for the fact that they could have just given the whole race up, but they got the car repaired, they got it back out again. We talked about Robert Renauer. I think you just probably missed ah, the point right. yes. yeah, about uh, the fact that they won Spirits of the Race by quite a number of votes, actually, above the 54-core Autosport car. Could core go even better than third, do you think, for the rest of this season? It's going to be tough, isn't it? It is going to be tough, yeah, because, uh, because you know, John Bennett... Uh, isn't a professional driver, doesn't profess to be a professional driver. His his focus is on the uh, Truman Aiken Award, uh, and I think the uh, winner of that at the end of the season earns an an, op- a, uh, an invitation to Le Mans 24 RS. I might be, oh, wow. might be wrong on that, but I think that's the case. It's certainly been the case in the past. 
Um, and the two-minute Aitken Award is specifically for teams that have a strong non-pro that have a, a, at least a uh, yeah a, a non-pro driver in there, yeah, a, a bronze. I think it's a bronze driver they have to have in the lineup. That would be John Bennett, and and then the other car was number twenty car was part of it. On my notes, he's listed as a silver driver, uh, but uh, for the season yeah, long, okay, silver, silver and bronze, yeah, big but silver or bronze, yeah. Okay, so for the, the rest of the season, is it going to be Colin and John then <coughs> yes. for the fifty-four? Uh, but they will have w- learnt an awful lot having Loic Duval and uh, Roman Dumas, two former Audi drivers, in their crew and racing their car. So that will be very useful indeed in terms of uh, race data that they can call on for the rest of the year. And I'm sure Loic and uh, Romain will uh, be picking up the phone should they be called by uh, uh, Mr Bennett and Mr Brown for the rest of this season. Um, Thank you very much for being around, uh, indeed, for the whole journey, as I'm sure many of you have, uh, for the latest 24-hour race as part of our uh, race coverage across the Radio Show Limited network of channels. You've been tuned to RS2 IMSA Radio, bringing you every second of this momentous 56th running of the Rolex 24. My thanks to Eve Hewitt, the responsible adult here at RSL, who's been overseeing things wherever she may be. She is omnipotent, as we uh, hear, and is in all places at all times. I'm sure she's still listening at the moment. Uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed bringing you the opening round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Card Championship and every single round of this year's Uh, American Championship will be covered here on RS2. Don't forget RS1. That's the channel you require for Le Mans in June, the test day for Nürburgring 24 and for European Le Mans series as well. And our broadcasting continues in less than a week's time because we're off to Bathurst, Australia. Uh, just up the road from Sydney to bring you the 12 hours of Bathurst on next Sunday. It's a bright and early start, but all the details are on the RadioLamont.com schedule. Get tuned to that. From Johnny Palmer here at Daytona, goodbye for now. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.